What's up, this your boy Lil Duval, and check out my podcast, Conversations with Unc, on the Black Effect Podcast Network. Each and every Tuesday, Conversations with Unc podcast feature casuals and in-depth talk about ebbs and flows of life and the pursuit of happiness. Unlike my work on stage, I tap into a more serious and sensitive side to give life advice and simply offer words of encouragement, yet remind folks to never forget to laugh. Every Tuesday, listen to Conversations with Unc, hosted by Lil Duval on the Black Effect Podcast Network, iHeartRadio app, or wherever you get your podcasts. Presented by AT&T. Connecting changes everything. You deserve a moment to yourself every single day. And a delicious bite of a Keebler Sandies can give you that comforting pause. Because there's nothing like a weekend pause with the melt-in-your-mouth magic of a Keebler Sandies. This magic is baked into simple shortbread cookies by Ernie and the Keebler Elves. So as life continues to fly by, make the most of your me moment. Take a pause and enjoy a Keebler Sandies. Hey guys, back at the playground again, huh? Yep. You know what this playground could use? A wine country. Heck yeah, and some waves, so we could go surfing. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I love that. A redwood forest would be cool. I'm in. Ah, ski slopes. Let's do it. Um, can a girl go shopping? Yeah, baby. Wait. Did we just invent California? Discover why California is the ultimate playground at visitcalifornia.com. Hey, guys, I'm Kaylee Shore, and this is Too Much to Say. But don't go asking questions that you don't Okay, like many of my episodes, I want to start today off with a trigger warning. Um, I'm going to be talking about addiction and um, loss and just it's a depressing episode. So as always, if this is not for you on this lovely Wednesday morning, then that is completely fine. And um, we'll be back next week with something a little bit cheerier, hopefully. Um it's hard sometimes when there's a lot going on in my life personally to do the podcast and come up with something that's just funny and making fun of my ex-boyfriends and all of that when there's so much on my mind. And, um, last week I, I honestly like needed to do a sort of lighthearted episode because I, I had a lot going on, but, um, yesterday I got back in town from one of my best friend from fourth grade on, um, uh, her funeral, and I, I went back home, and uh, I sang at the funeral. Her dad asked me to, her dad and sister, and it was really, really, um, really powerful. Um, I have a love-hate relationship with singing at funerals and weddings because it's just already very emotional, but um, it meant a lot to me that they asked me to do that. And um, yeah, but this has been occupying my entire brain for you know the past two weeks since, um, since she passed and I, um, couldn't really talk about anything else today. Cause this is, this is just what's, what's on my mind. And that's the point of this podcast. So, um, most of you know that I have a lot of experience with, um, with addicts. It, it runs in my family and, um, I lost my sister to an overdose in 2019 on January 6th. And, um, it, was really fucking hard and it was a 20 year battle. Um, I mean, it was, it was almost two decades that she was, she was struggling with that and it was not, 
it was not a linear process. There was a lot of recovery in between, but eventually, um, she just couldn't, she just couldn't do it. And the most comfort I've been able to find in the situation is knowing that, um, where she is now, she's free from it because addiction obviously weighs on the family so much and, and loved ones and you have to watch the person they love go through that. But it's like the loss of self that happens because the addiction just takes over their personality and their values and it just erases everything about them. Um, so the history of, um, I'm going to be focusing on opioids. There's a lot of addiction and a lot of things one can be addicted to, but opioids are the most deadly, um, and they're the like largest, largest drug that people overdose on by a massive margin. So, and that's just what I've, um, seen in my life close up. So opium comes directly from the opium poppy, a flower found in various parts of the world. Um, opiates have been around for thousands of years since they were first cultivated in Mesopotamia around 3400 BC. Over the centuries, compounds from the opium poppy have been used as medicine for treating pain and various illnesses. They've also been abused by people looking for a euphoric experience. Heroin itself was first made in 1874 by processing morphine, a compound extracted from the poppy sap, which has been used in medicine since the early 1800s. At first, it was thought that heroin would be less addictive than morphine, serving as a safer substitute. However, it was soon realized that heroin was just as addictive and it became an illegal substance in the U.S. So heroin has not always been a street drug. It started as something in um, in medicine and um Morphine. There, there's a there's a time and place for these medicines. I mean, like I, I think it's really important that people who are are dying from cancer or or AIDS or something that's just putting them in immense pain. Um, I think it's really important that for the last you know part of their lives they're they're in they're comfortable and um and not in pain. But these are end of life drugs, and they were thrown out in the 90s as like like they were candy to people with headaches and people with sprained ankles and it's just that's just not what a drug this powerful is for um it can take uh five days to become addicted to opioids they're some of the strongest on the planet um and prescription opioids are very chemically similar to heroin and it's um it's glossed over a lot by the medical community and has been. And uh, if you guys listen to my podcast that I did around the holidays for True Crime Christmas, I talked about the Sackler family and their development of OxyContin, their knowledge of how addictive it was, how easily it was abused, and their pushing of the drug like it was crack to all these different doctors who were being lied to or being paid. And the combination of the both of both it ended up with a... Um, the heroin epidemic. So in 1999, right before Oxycontin came out, which is not, <laughs> not a coincidence. Um, let, there were less than 2000 overdoses on opioids. And at this point, you know, there were, there were other drugs around that involved them. I believe, um, 
Um, oh, what is it? It's not Valium. It starts with the V. Vicodin, Vicodin, and Percocet, and all that. I, b- I believe were about or around. And um, there was obviously morphine, and there was this thing called MS Cotton, which was like morphine with a continual release, and that was where OxyContin morphed, um, where it kind of morphed out of. But um, so there were two thousand overdoses right before OxyContin came out, and by twenty sixteen, there were sixteen thousand a year. Um, and those are just the ones that are documented. I mean, there's a whole issue within the like medical prescription drug community where they weren't like <laughs> coroners and, um, morticians and all that were to processing op- autopsies weren't assigning the cause of death to the opioids and they were frequently mixed with other drugs in people's system. Um, and the combination killed them, but also if they hadn't taken the oxy, then they wouldn't have died. And just because there was alcohol in their system too, or there was meth in their system, I mean, I think any logical deduction tells you that the most deadly one probably killed them. And the oxy and, or the, you know, the meth and the alcohol just kind of supported that. Um, so it's like... I mean, it's been out of control for a while, and um, nearly half of all Americans have a family member or close friend impacted by drug addiction. Um, I mean, I can definitely testif- testify to that for sure. And um, my my friend over whose funeral I went to over the weekend passed away from a fentanyl overdose. And fentanyl is a huge problem right now because it makes the drugs stronger, so they can stretch out the heroin longer. Fentanyl is really cheap. It's a a um, synthetic drug and it's actually used in in pregnant women weirdly enough um, as they're giving birth like fentanyl is a drug that's that's used by doctors as well but it is so so strong and there's even like marijuana that's that's laced with fentanyl there's um, there's cocaine that's laced with fentanyl I mean like <laughs> I feel like there's a lot less people at parties doing cocaine now that they know that you know a lot of it is laced with um with fentanyl and it can kill you instantly like so fast and that's what happened to her and it's just been really hard to watch this happen again to somebody that I love and watch it through the eyes of her younger sister having been the younger sister um and addicts are are not easy to be around or deal with and it can really really feel like you hate them sometimes and um there's a there's a lot of reasons why but i'm going to share some of my stories with that coming up next snag a job is where america goes to hire with the deepest talent pool in hourly hiring with access to over six million active hourly workers Snag a job is the all-in-one solution for hiring high-quality employees who can cover all your needs. On demand, tempt to hire part-time or full-time. You name the position. Warehouse worker, retail associate, grocery store clerk, fitness trainer, baker, stylist, bellhop, podcast producer. Yeah, Snag a Job's got a worker for that. With our easy-to-use platform, you're able to seamlessly post and fill available positions quickly with a dedicated customer support team to provide all the help you need along the way. Kind of nice knowing you have a talent pool like that in your own backyard, right? Snagajob is the partner you need to keep your business running smoothly. So visit snagajob.com or text snag to 242424 to talk to an expert. Snagajob.com, 
where America goes to hire. Hey guys, you know what this playground could use? A wine country, huh? A redwood forest would be cool. Ski slopes! Wait! Did we just invent California? Discover why California is the ultimate playground at visitcalifornia.com. Had enough of those supplements that leave you feeling nothing? Symbionica is your solution to great-tasting, all-natural supplements that actually work. Crafted with premium plant-based ingredients, their products have no seed oils, fillers, or toxins. Try them out and actually feel the difference today. Visit Symbionica.com and use code IHEART for 15% off plus free shipping on your subscription order. Again, that's 15% off plus free shipping on your subscription order. Go to Symbionica.com. C-Y-M-B-I-O-T-I-K-A.com. So when my sister first started um, abusing opioids, uh... There were things that went missing around the house um, by, you know, the next, over the next few years, all of our family jewelry was gone. My grandma had some really special stuff from Germany and um, like heirlooms and stuff. And we didn't have a lot of money, but there were some really, really special, special things that had a lot of value and a lot of sentimental value and they are just gone. There's nothing left. Um, Nothing. And... There's a lot of there's a lot of lying, there's a lot of stealing, there's a lot of borrowing money and finding different ways to manipulate the situation and they become expert liars and addicts become narcissists and it's important to realize that they they weren't before and it's the addiction talking but it doesn't mean it hurts any less for the loved ones who are being manipulated and taken advantage of. Um there was one particularly rough time with my sister where and I think, I think my dad was really in denial about the fact that she might be on oxy again, um, or heroin. I don't know which when she finally moved to that, but he didn't want to believe it. And so, they're so good at lying, and it's they say everything you want to hear about how they're getting clean and they're doing this and whatever. And so, by the time my sister started lying about me, my dad just didn't have it in him to believe anything else other than what she was saying. And I understand that and I don't blame him for it. But I was about 14 and my um, niece, who now my my dad's the guardian of, um, she was a newborn baby and we were, um, my sister wanted to go to Walmart and we were picking up something for dinner or whatever. And this was in New Hampshire in the middle of winter. There's a blizzard. I mean, if, if you're from New England, you know, you just have to drive through it. There's no like, I mean, snow days, it has to be really bad to have a snow day. So we were like, okay, we're going to go. And I noticed that she had this really big, like a big gulp cup, like the really big ones, like the 44 ounces or whatever. And, um, I was like, she hadn't really had an alcohol problem but an addict's an addict and, you know, substances are, are rough on them no matter what. Um, but I, I smelled alcohol in it and I could, I could tell she'd been drinking and we're already on the road and she'd been promising me that she was going to teach me how to drive. And again, I was 14, cannot legally drive. And I was like, noticed that she was swerving and that the, um, I mean, her driving was just so erratic and there was a newborn in the backseat and I'm freaking out and I don't want to call her out on it because I mean, she did, she did scare me. She wasn't herself, you know, and, and 
at that moment realizing that she was um she wasn't sober anymore that she'd relapsed I was if I was afraid and I didn't want her to be mad at me and I didn't want to push her away so I was like okay um hey do you remember when you said that you were going to teach me how to drive what if we did that now I was like I mean we we live in Maine like I should I should learn how to drive in the snow right and she was very out of it clearly because she said yes and so the first time I ever drove a car I was 14 it was snowing we were on the Kankamangas Highway in New Hampshire which is like a ridiculous back road there's like a river on either side and like you can I mean, if I'd lost control of the car, it would have been really, really bad. But I still knew that I was a better person to get us home than she was. And so I, um, I got us home safely. I drove like probably five miles an hour. I was so scared, but I was just like, we need to get the baby out of here. And I told my dad and he just like completely ignored me because he just couldn't he couldn't believe it. He didn't want to believe it. She'd been doing so well. And, um, she was already had been in and out of prison and she was out and just promising everybody the world that she was doing so well. And, um, he just didn't want to believe it. And so a couple months after, I believe this might've been, they were around the same time. So I'm not really, I think it was after, but it's a little bit blurry. Um, so around the same time I had gone up to my dad's house and I'd already stopped visiting him as frequently. Um, I hadn't been going up every other weekend. I'd been, you know, but my grandma wasn't feeling well. So I came up to see her and, um, my dad is bizarre and doesn't trust banks and like, is just kind of a, kind of a doomsday conspiracy theorist thing is his political affiliation is just conspiracy theories. Um, And he, like, hides money in walls. (laughs) So when our house burned down when I was nine, a lot of cash went missing. And you can only claim, like, on your insurance up to, like, $2,500 because you could lie and say there was a ton of cash in the walls. But the thing in our situation was there was. And so all of that money just went poof. And that was, like, his savings because he didn't believe in banks. To think would teach you a lesson, but... Um, so there was like a hole in the wall in the back of his closet and I guess he'd put some money there and I came up for a couple days and the money went missing and I was like, oh shit. And I was like, well, okay, well, obviously it was Ashley. I mean, she's like on drugs, but nobody else saw it that way. Cause she was, she had, she'd already gotten out ahead of it and told my dad that I'd been like bragging about taking the money and that she'd seen me and like, he wanted to believe that so bad because me being a shitty 13, 14 year old was easier for him to believe than his daughter being back on that path that could kill her and ultimately would. And so, um, and I just remember like looking at him and being like, dad, I'm like a kid. Don't you think you would notice if I stole $7,000? Like, don't you think I would maybe be wearing nicer shoes and like probably gotten a pair of Uggs or something. Like I don't think a kid can really hide that they stole a bunch of money. I didn't have a job. Me having any money on me would have been like a red flag, but he just didn't, I, 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 he just couldn't see past it. And he's since like really, really profusely apologized to me for both of those things because now that he has the benefit of hindsight, he can, he can see what was going on. But, um, I was really angry and, and it made it, so hard for me to empathize with her because she like destroyed my relationship with my dad and it was so 
awful and embarrassing to just, I mean, there's nothing worse than when somebody just fucking lies about you, you know, because you can deny it all you want, but it's just going to have to take time for it all to come out. And that's like, liars are so scary because there's, there's one thing when it's like, you know, someone talking shit or embarrassing you and exposing you for a secret or whatever, like that's shitty. But when it's lying, it's like none of this is even real and everyone's believing it. And it's just scary because they could say anything about you. And, you know, I mean, if you're just writing the script, you can write anything you want. So that was kind of when I started to drift apart from that side of my family. Um, And it was really hard. And I just remember, I mean, I would have, she stole stuff from me. Um, There was so much lying. There was so much like shoplifting. I mean, when she got arrested and I don't remember this but one of my parents told me this recently so I'm going off their word but uh one of the first times she got arrested that landed her in prison I guess I was there and she'd like just jacked a bunch of stuff at the mall and I had no idea and it was like really valuable stuff and I was just there as a kid just you know going along for the ride I did not realize until recently that I'd been to a methadone clinic as a kid I thought we just went somewhere and she got Kool-Aid um that is not what that was and I didn't, I didn't realize what all the random stuff around her house was that was just out and, and clearly, you know, paraphernalia. And so when we went to clean out her house after she passed away, I mean, it was just, it was a nightmare. And, and by then I, I knew what it was. But at this time, I, I didn't. I just thought my sister was messy. Um, so when we went to clean out the house, like, I remember, like, heroin needles just crunched underneath my mom and dad's feet and there was because it was like you know really really soon after she died and they were just cleaning out the house and getting stuff for the kids and there was just like aluminum foil and rubbing alcohol and all these things out on the counter and I'm looking at them like and I was like what the fuck is oh oh that's what that is And the whole house was just a mess because clearly, you know, I don't think a heroin addict's first, first priority is throw pillows and vacuuming. Um, but when I walked in, there was just stuff all over the floor and then there's like one area cleared and I was like, that's so weird. And then I realized that's where her body had been. So that's burned into my head. That's really messed up. And I just wouldn't wish that on anybody, like the things that I can't forget. And there's so much that my, my little sister remembers. I mean, they were upstairs when my sister overdosed and thankfully they didn't come down and find her themselves, but they had to like have the police take them out of the back door. And it was just, I mean, I can't imagine. And my nephew was like four or five, but the, the nine-year-old girl, I mean, that's old enough to know. So that was, that was really, really hard. And, um, so it's, it's not easy on the people who love addicts and it's not easy on the addicts, but they just can really, they can push through anything to get what they want and they'll, they'll just completely ruin the lives of the ones they love. And it's important to remember that that's not them. But again, like I said earlier, it doesn't make it hurt any less. And I was talking to my little sister niece, the other day about, um, you know, we just had a really good conversation and she's 12 and it freaks me out how mature she is, but it makes sense. Um, and she was saying that, you know, I was telling her 
about there's another addict in our family that's behaving erratically and stealing from children and just really I don't want to get too far into it because I don't want to you, you know anybody who listens to this and knows me to know who it is but it's gotten really out of hand and it's really bad and so while I'm you know going to my friend's funeral for an overdose I'm also terrified I'm going to get another call about this other family member and I was talking to this little 12 year old girl. And she's like, I was like, well, you know, when, when this person does that, they don't, they don't know what they're doing because they're, it's not them. It's, it's something else that's taken them over. So it's important to know that this person, they're not a bad person. They're just have something that makes them bad, but they would never, ever do these things if they weren't on these substances. And I try to be as real with her as I can. I mean, I don't, she's seen more than I have, you know, I'm not going to, be condescending to her and not let her know what's going on. I feel like that's so much more unhealthy. I mean, there's definitely things she doesn't need to know, but so I'm telling her this and she's like, yeah, I know. Like, I mean, mama used to get really angry really fast with me and just be really, you know, she just snap. And I, I would always remind myself that that wasn't mommy. That was, that was something else. And I just, I just would be quiet and I just love her anyways. And I was just like, holy shit. These are things a child shouldn't have to think about. Um, so next up, I'm going to talk about the recovery process and how that can be its own form of hell. Um, even just like, I mean, the whole, the whole process is terrible from watching them get into it to watching them completely go out of control, looking for it to watching them desperately trying to crawl themselves out of this hole. And it's, it's not easy. And I can only imagine how hard it is, but from what I've seen, it's, it's terrible. So I'll be right back. Snag a job is where America goes to hire with the deepest talent pool in hourly hiring with access to over 6 million active hourly workers. Snag a job is the all in one solution for hiring high quality employees who can cover all your needs on demand, tempt to hire part-time or full-time. You name the position, warehouse worker, retail associate, grocery store, clerk, fitness trainer, baker, stylist, bellhop, podcast producer. Yeah. Snag a job's got a worker for that. With our easy-to-use platform, you're able to seamlessly post and fill available positions quickly with a dedicated customer support team to provide all the help you need along the way. Kind of nice knowing you have a talent pool like that in your own backyard, right? Snagajob is the partner you need to keep your business running smoothly. So visit snagajob.com or text snag to 242424 to talk to an expert. Snagajob.com, where America goes to hire. Hey guys, you know what this playground could use? A wine country, huh? A redwood forest would be cool. Ski slopes! Wait! Did we just invent California? Discover why California is the ultimate playground at visitcalifornia.com. Had enough of those supplements that leave you feeling nothing? Symbiotica is your solution to great tasting all natural supplements that actually work. Crafted with premium plant based ingredients, their products have no seed oils, fillers, or artificial nonsense. It's just pure goodness in every pouch. Try them out and actually feel the difference today. Visit Symbiotica.com and use code IHEART for 15% off plus free shipping on your subscription order. Again, that's 15% off plus free shipping on your subscription order. Go to Symbiotica.com. That's C-Y-M-B-I-O-T-I-K-A.com. So the thing about recovery 
is there's a lot of there's a lot of really pretty places with ranch in their name, you know, like and and like, you know, the summit and just like dramatic names like that. I hope that's not a real place, but it you know, the the names that are just so clearly like, you know, something river and just you know, they, they sound so great and they can promise you all this stuff on their website and there's all these pretty pictures and people go horseback riding and there's a lake and, you know, they get to be introspective and, and rehab absolutely works for some people. But a lot of it, I mean, there's some of these places, these places are for pro, for profit businesses. They, they make money by people being addicts. So it's like, if you want to dive into conspiracy theories, like, as far as these big ones that have been caught doing really fucked up shit, it's like, well, what incentive do they really have for people to get clean? Because people will keep coming back and coming back and be repeat customers of this, this recovery center. And that's its own kind of fucked up. And obviously I'm not talking about every single recovery center. Rehab is really, really important. And um, if, if you can find a good one, I mean, it can really say it saves lives completely. But um, I've also seen some really fucked up sides of that. And, um, there's a lot of resources for addicts that they can't get their hands on. Um, and I'm going to be talking about prescription drugs and just keep in mind, I'm not a doctor and I've never taken these things, but these are just things I've read about that seem like they can be really helpful. And I'm sure there's some sort of controversy because it is the prescription drug industry, but, um, there's obviously methadone, but that's really hard because you have to take it like every day. You can't, like take it home you have to go to the clinic and and get it but suboxone is a type of um opioid drug abuse like combat combating medicine i think I, that was such a long way of saying that but um and it it like really 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 can help people and on the tv show dope sick which i highly recommend you guys watch if you want to learn about this and really see just an incredibly raw and and factual um showing of of these stories but there a lot of times it isn't covered by insurance and so this family member um that i was talking about earlier they're um on the streets and doing heroin and, and meth and then started taking suboxone and stopped taking heroin and that was like obviously the first huge step towards recovery and they were still using other things, but then they didn't have access to Suboxone anymore because it can be really expensive and their insurance wouldn't cover it for whatever reason. And so then they immediately go back to heroin, you know, and that makes perfect sense. And so it's like, what's the point of giving people these drugs if you can't, what's the point of these drugs being invented if people can't fucking take them? You know, and so there's also this, um, this shot called Vivitrol and it can frequently also not be covered by insurance, but it's like a shot you can get like sort of like the birth control shot where it lasts for months and you only have to come in once and it, um, you know, does things to your opioid receptors that can, and it can really, it can cure, um, alcohol addiction as well. But the only thing, the only like thing is if, if they do take heroin on top of this, it, will completely wreck their body because it's already, I mean, it would just like basically blow you up essentially like from the inside out. So you, you have to stick to it, but you also don't have the desire or the withdrawal for the drugs. So, um, 
So my friend who passed away, um, they had taken the shot and she was getting so much better and had been sober and then lost access to the drug because of her insurance back in December, January, and then passed away like two months later and they didn't, they didn't find a way to get the drug. And it just breaks my heart knowing that if they'd had access to that, they, she could still be here and that's just really, really heartbreaking and hard to accept. So it's important for me to talk about this. And obviously I focused a lot on my sister's negative aspects, but, um, I mean, it's also just like my, my very real experience with this, but with my, my friend, um, from childhood who passed away, there's just, everybody I know who's been an addict has been an incredibly empathetic person. And I think that that's part of why they get lured into drugs like these, where they can really erase all these negative feelings and, and, and produce this euphoria effect. And it's just such an escape. Like, you know, cocaine is an escape in its own way, but it, it, it's not, it's not the same. Like, Heroin puts you in this suspended state of existence that makes you feel like everything is absolutely fucking wonderful all the time. And that's why people do it. And I think that empaths take on so many emotions for other people. And so these these addicts are escaping from from that feeling and those things they've taken on for others. But I wanted to end on reading my friend Casey's obituary. Um, it's one of the most beautiful things and her story is incredible she had a psychology degree she cared so much about people I mean I couldn't have made it through high school without her because I was having such a hard time and nobody loved with less judgment than Casey she was so so empathetic and would just listen and was I mean I don't I don't think I've I've ever experienced that kind of lack of judgment from someone you could tell her anything and she'd be real with you but you knew that she could keep the secret and you knew that she would love you no matter what so this is um this is the kind of person she was so i'm gonna skip over the details but like of you know where she graduated from and stuff but um Casey would tell her dad from a very young age, Daddy, when I graduate school, I don't want a new car or money. I want to go to Africa and help the orphans. She might have been seven or eight years old at the most. Once Casey was in high school, she'd remind her father, Dad, don't forget, we're going to Africa when I graduate to help the orphans. So the summer after she graduated, Casey, her sister, and dad headed to Zimbabwe and broke ground to build a complete orphanage. The orphanage now consists of a school, a community center, a computer learning center, dormitories for the children to live in, a water well, a farm with crops and animals. Because of Casey's dream, today 175 children are fed three meals a day, and about 100 or so live in the orphanage. Some of the first children she've met have gone on to graduate from the orphanage and are living on their own. Some of them have stayed in touch with the family and consider Casey and her sister to be their sisters. Casey's passion to work with kids with disabilities took her to a facility where she worked. She continued her education, received a registered behavior technician license, which she was very proud. She worked with children that have autism. Her work was not just work, it was her passion. 
Casey's patience and love for her kids was evident. She talked about them all the time and often sent us pictures of her day. She was always looking for ways to help them learn. Casey's love for kids spread far and wide, far and wide, one can say globally due to her dream and work in Zimbabwe. She always wanted to simply help people. From the age of five years old, she would volunteer with her family at the, pre- um, at the soup kitchen in Portland, Maine, feeding the homeless. Over the years, she would come to know many of the homeless on a first-name basis. Of course, when she saw them, she had to buy them a coffee and food. Casey and her sister grew up with family dinner. She would come home and say, can I bring a few friends tomorrow night? They don't have family dinners like we do. How many, Casey? A few was the response, and often it could be four or five, and we would scramble to make more food. She always wanted to return to Zimbabwe and live there for a year or more at the orphanage, and um, her dad was talking during the funeral service, which was one of the hardest things I've ever had to watch, was a parent telling their 27-year-old child's story like that. Um, but he said that her like reward and something she was working for with getting sober was um, going back to Zimbabwe and going to the orphanage, and that was something she was really working towards. And she'd been sober for, I think it was like five or six months before... She overdosed a couple weeks ago, and apparently she had texted one of her friends who's also an addict and asked them if they had any Narcan, which is a really, really, really important drug that can reverse the effects of an overdose. It is absolutely hell to take, um, but it, it saves lives. And if you're at a party and someone smokes weed or, or does coke and there's fentanyl in it, like, and somebody has Narcan on them, you can, comp- you can save their lives. It's like an undo button and then they, you know, are in pain for days and days. But like, it's so important and I, I really want, it would be amazing if we could just all have access to it and keep it in our purses. And I mean, that's what I want to do. It's expensive, but I mean, I just can't being able to stop that and, and knowing that there's something out there that can stop it, but it costs too much money. So people can't fucking have it is insane um and so she texted her friend to knowing that she was about to use for the first time in five months and said hey do you have any narcan and her friend didn't and she didn't she didn't want to overdose she just it's just so hard it's very hard and for any of you who've experienced this i'm so sorry you've had to go through this um I mean, there's not really a lot of words for it. And I'm sorry that this week was such a downer episode, but I just can't think about anything else. I can't talk about the guys I had crushes on in high school. I can't make fun of my ex-boyfriend, mostly because it's just at this point, it's like, yeah, he's a joke. We know. I'm running out of punchlines, guys. <laughs> um, so, yeah, that's just, that was what was on my heart this week. And it's so important for those of you who don't really know an addict to know that these people are, are real people. They're not junkies and trailers. They're people with dreams. They're people with degrees. They're people with children and, and parents. They're people who take care of other people. And they just had this drug just trigger something inside of them. And it is so heartbreaking to watch. And I still don't know exactly what I can do to help. I try 
so hard to be outspoken about it. And I think that it's important for me to use my platform in this way. But at the same time, I'm like, I just feel, I feel helpless because I can't just, I can't just get, run around giving everybody Narcan. Like I can't just find every single person who's overdosing. But yeah, do some research on that guys. And if you're, you know, in college and you have party friends who, who are, you know, messing around with drugs, it happens. It doesn't make it okay. But like, I mean, it just, it happens. People experiment. But if somebody at the party has that on them, you can save someone's life. It's literally like an undo button. So, um, yeah, do some research on that. It's really important. And I know that I will be carrying it in my purse. It's small. Police carry it on them. You know, it's just, why not, right? But thank you guys so much for listening. My name is Kaylee Shore. This is Too Much to Say. And um, this week's episode is dedicated to Casey. Don't go asking questions that you don't want answers to. I've got too much to say, and I'll tell it all to you. Yeah. This is Malcolm Gladwell from Revisionist History. eBay Motors is here for the ride. With some elbow grease, fresh installs, and a whole lot of love, you transformed 100,000 miles and a body full of rust into a drive that's all your own. Brake kits, LED headlights, whatever you need, eBay Motors has it. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, it's guaranteed to fit your ride the first time, every time, or your money back. Plus, at these prices, you're burning rubber, not cash. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. Hey, guys. Back at the playground again, huh? Yep. You know what this playground could use? A wine country. Heck yeah. And some waves. So we could go surfing. Oh, <laughs> ah, love that. A redwood forest would be cool. I'm in. Ah, ski slopes. Let's do it. Um, tenor girl go shopping. Yeah, baby. Wait. Did we just invent California? Discover why California is the ultimate playground at visitcalifornia.com. You deserve a moment to yourself every single day. And a delicious bite of a Keebler Sandies can give you that comforting pause. Because there's nothing like a weekend pause with the melt-in-your-mouth magic of a Keebler Sandies. This magic is baked into simple shortbread cookies by Ernie and the Keebler Elves. So as life continues to fly by, make the most of your me moment. Take a pause and enjoy a Keebler Sandies.